Our second Bible reading for this evening is from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 28. And in my pew Bible, this is found on page 1026. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, friends. Uh, my name's John. If we have not yet met, um, I'm the assistant minister at this church. Wonderful privilege to be uh, joining with the church family. A warm welcome to you if you are a visitor. We do have outlines for the talk. If you like that, they can be helpful. Now, Easter is coming up, and just to add to what Peter has said, we have Easter evening service and morning service like normal uh, on the Sunday, but there's also Good Friday service on this coming Friday at 9.30am in the morning. So, opportunity to invite friends and family. It's perhaps one of the easiest times of year to invite friends to the church, and hopefully they will come and hear the message of the gospel and be convicted. But uh, uh, perhaps... Um, on a night like this where we'll have coffee house, perhaps if you turn around, welcome each other and I'll call you back briefly and we'll look at this passage. So do have your Bibles as well. Okay, friends, well, let me get your attention. We'll have a look at this passage. Keep your Bibles open. I'll wake, uh, make my way through this passage, most of this passage tonight. Uh, we are considering a big question tonight, but let's turn to God in prayer. These are his words uh, for us and for our good, so let's turn to God for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us, you make your ways and make your son clear to us. 
who he is, why he came and what we must do to be his disciple. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will make that clear in our hearts tonight and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'd like to begin today with a few questions, a series of questions and that is, one, is Christianity still relevant today? What do you think? Is it still relevant today? Is the church still relevant today in 21st century Australia? Is there still a place for churches to do what we do, to say what we do, to teach what we do? Is the church, is Christianity still relevant today in our society? Well, increasingly so, our society, and I'm sure you would have noticed this as well, is seeing Christianity and the role of the church as less and less relevant it's clear in the media, in what, what he, what, how we're portrayed, in what we're made to think. And so Christianity and the church, and I'm sure you're aware of this, it's, it's pushed and pushed and pushed further and further and further into the periphery of social life, of public life. And at the same time, I think we can see that our society is becoming increasingly secular, pushing that agenda in all aspects of social life from politics to education to public debate to what we watch on the news to what we read in the newspapers, our society has become increasingly so uh, secular. There's even a party, a, a party I found this online, quite interesting. It's called the Secular Party of Australia and their sole aim is really to challenge religious freedom. And so that's the world we're living in. It's changed in only just the very recent decades. And we see this all too often. In fact, in this past week, if you've been, you know, just on Facebook, you get news on Facebook. The University of Sydney Union has threatened to deregister a Christian group on campus, the Evangelical Union. Have you read of that? Have you heard of that? So in Victoria, we call our Christian groups part of the AVS, the Christian Union. At Sydney Uni, it's called the Evangelical Union and the Student Union of the university has threatened to deregister them. And what's their reason? Well, the reason is because it's not inclusive enough. You can't be just a Christian to be a member. You see, you must even allow atheists to be a member of the Christian group, to make decisions for the Christian group. It's not inclusive enough. Strange, isn't it? And you see, what lies behind this is really trying to push Christianity out of public life, push it further and further into the periphery. And so to our society, on the universities, Christianity, not just irrelevant in fact, it should be stamped out completely. Or if you've been watching news and hearing about how our Christian politicians are treated, they make any stand on traditional marriage. And you know what happens? They're caught names. Forget talking about the topic or the issue, they're caught names. And so this past week, just this past week, one of the senators, Senator Corey Bernardi from Adelaide, his voice is quite clear about his opinions about the importance of traditional marriage. He also raised concerns about this uh, safe schools program, if you've read about that. Very strange and weird indeed. But what happened this week, this past week, was that his Adelaide office was trashed and vandalised by two two dozen students, stormed into his office, chanting and scrawling slogans all over the walls. I mean, you see what this society has come to. Your Christian views are not just irrelevant, 
It can't be tolerated at all and we must stamp it out. And so that question again, is Christianity still relevant today? Our society is telling us it's not relevant. In fact, if we look at our census data, it seems to suggest that the place of the church, the place of Christianity, has less and less relevance to Australian life. And so what do you think? You read the articles. Another article I read this past week, one of the comments from this article, on this article, was that the church, this person thinks the church would cease to exist in only a few decades. The church will cease to exist in Australian life. What do you think? Does it matter if Christianity ceases to exist in Australia? Has Christianity become completely irrelevant in our modern, technologically advanced, democratic, secular society? Has it become irrelevant? You might think that, and that's okay. But what do you think? What do you think? Well, you see, this question, it's a big question, but I think this question is really asking something a lot more fundamental, a lot more deeper than what it appears. You see, the relevancy of the church, the relevancy of Christianity does not rest on the church as an institution, nor does it rest on how Christians are perceived by society. But the question really rests on the question of whether we think Jesus is still relevant today. It's connected. You see, when people say that the church is no longer relevant, they're in fact saying that Jesus is no longer relevant. The person of Jesus, you can just forget him and leave him in the history books. He's no longer relevant. And so that's the big question today. Is Jesus, Jesus Christ, still relevant for our world today, for our society, for Australian life? And so that's the question we'll be looking at tonight. And so we're going to go back to this basic fundamental question. Does Jesus matter? Does his person matter? Does his identity matter? You see, if he does not matter, if Jesus is not relevant to life today, then all the churches around this city, all the churches around this nation, we're all wasting our time. Because you see, as a church, we derive our identity from Jesus We derive our purpose from Jesus. We derive our mission from him. And so is Jesus relevant? Well, let's have a look at this passage. Bible to Matthew 16. Well, this passage begins with Jesus and his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, this was a city, an ancient city, filled with numerous shrines to all the gods worship in the Roman world. And so there was this huge temple made in honour of Caesar. He had his own temple there. And then there were shrines to goddesses and gods, the goddess Nemesis to the god Hermes to the god Pan. And so it was like this religious centre, not a Jewish place, a Gentile Roman place, uh, a religious centre. It was in a sense like a sin city where anything goes, a place of wild living, do what you like there. And so Jesus chose this location. Strange, isn't it? Jesus chose this location. He speaks to his disciples. He turns to them and asks them a very important question. It's as if Jesus deliberately sets himself against the background of all the world religions in all their glory and splendour. So amongst all these religions, all these gods that this world worships, let me ask you, disciples, who do you say I am? Amongst all these religions, 
do I have any relevance? Who do you say I am? And so what do we read? Verse 13, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they reply, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, Jesus wasn't really interested in what other people were thinking. He wanted to know what the disciples were thinking. These were the disciples who lived with him, heard him teach, saw what he could do. And so Jesus turns to them, 15, verse 15, what about you? Who do you say I am? The Apostle Peter, he's the one to respond. I mean, they've all seen Jesus make the blind see, make the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, feed the thousands, walk on water, calm the storm. They saw all that. And so Peter here, the turning point of this gospel, he confesses these words in verse 16. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, Peter's come to realise that Jesus is something of relevance, of importance, of worth, of significance. You're not like those dead idols we see around here in this city. You are the son of the living God. Now this term Christ, Peter confesses, you are the Christ. This term Christ is loaded with meaning. Now, now how do we understand Christ? Last year when I was teaching religious education across the road at the primary school, each week I will revise the meanings of different names, different important terms from the Bible. So what does grace mean? What does testament mean? How many books are there in the old, new? We'll do this revision every week and, and after a few weeks they would have all memorised it all. And so each week I will, I'll get them to revise. So what does Jesus mean? And they will say, well, Jesus means God saves. And then I would ask him, what's the Hebrew equivalent of Jesus? And they would know that. They would say, it's Joshua. They will learn this week by week. And then I will ask him, what, what does um, Jesus Christ, what does Christ mean? Is it a surname? Is there a Mrs. and Mrs. Christ somewhere? And they will say, no. And so what is Christ? They say, well, it's a title. They would know that, these kids. But what does this title mean? What does Christ mean? Well, Christ means God's chosen king. Jesus Christ means Jesus, the King of God. It is the title. And so this is what Peter confesses here. You are the Christ. You are the King of God, the chosen King of God. You're the Son of the living God. Now, where did Peter get all those ideas from? Where did he get all that from? Well, he got it from our first Bible reading. Remember the first one from 2 Samuel 7? He would have known that as a good Jew. And in 2 Samuel 7, God makes these massive promises to King David, the great King David, makes promises to him, to his nation and in fact to the whole world. Big promises of a king who will rule forever. And we see that in, in the, these two verses, 2 Samuel 12 to 14, three verses. When your days are over, God speaking to David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Now, you see what God does there. This was a thousand years before Jesus came along. Jesus was making a promise. Your throne, your rule, your dynasty will last forever. And the type of relationship I will have with him is that I'll be the father, and he will be the son. And so Peter here, after seeing all Jesus has done, 
after saying all Jesus has taught, he says now, but this is you, Jesus. All of those promises to Samuel 7, this is you. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Your kingdom is a kingdom that will last forever. And so is Jesus relevant? Well, in Peter's mind, certainly so. For sure, 100%. You see, he would have seen, he would have known, and we know, kings come and go. Kingdoms come and go. Empires come and go. You see, the great Assyrians, they came and they went. The Babylonians, they came and they went. The Greeks, they came and they went. The Romans, they came and they went. And then you've got the Mongolians. They came, they went. The Ottomans, they came and then the British Empire. Well, where are they now? You see, the kingdom of Jesus is not like that. The kingdom of Jesus will be one that will stand forever. The promise is that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that is what Peter recognises and confesses here. And so if Jesus is such a king, is he relevant? If he is the king of a kingdom that will last forever, is he relevant? I mean, just think about our own context, our country, our nation. A thousand years from today, do you think Australia will still be as it is, the nation of Australia? Don't know, can't know. But a thousand years, a lot can change. Will the powerful superpower US of A be still the superpower US of A in a thousand years' time? I don't know. Don't know. Things come and go. Kingdoms come and go. But you see, the kingdom of Jesus, what Peter is seeing, the promise in Jesus, his kingdom is one that will go on forever and ever and ever. And so, is Jesus still relevant? To Peter, he is. To us, it should be as well. But now, Jesus, he does something else. He gives a bit more information. He goes on to talk about what it means for him to be the king, what it means for him to be the Christ. And so what he does now is he picks up on what Peter said, on Peter's confession. You said, Peter, you call me the Christ. Well, let me now tell you what it means to be the Christ. And what it means is that I will be the one who will build the house of God. You see, do you see that? Remember that before from that 2 Samuel passage? You see, those big promises to King David was that his son will be the one who will build the house of God. And so let's have a look again. The context, remember, was that David, King David wanted to build a house of God. He had his own house, his own palace. He felt sorry for God. God was going around in a tent and he wanted to build a house for God. But God said to David, no, you will not build a house for me. In fact, it will be your son who will build for me. And so this verse here, he that is your son is the one who will build a house for my name. And so in the context of that 2 Samuel 7 passage, it was David's real son, Solomon, who built the house for God. He was the one who built the temple. But you see, those promises were looking forward to something bigger and better. Those promises were looking forward to the Davidic king, the king who will reign forever, the one who will have a kingdom that will go on forever and the one who will build the greater house of God. And so in a sense, what Jesus does in this passage, he takes Peter's confession. You call me the Christ, well, I'll tell you what the Christ will do. The Christ will build the house of God. The Christ will build the church. You see that connection there? The king is the house builder. The king is the church builder. 
And so that's what Jesus does here in our passage. And he says, I will build my church. On that confession, I will build my church. If I am the Christ, I will build my church. Now, of course, this is not a church made out of stone and bricks and mortar like Solomon's, but a church made up of people. That is what the word church means, gathering of people. And so Jesus here promised to build a people that belongs, a people who belong to him, a people who belong to his kingdom, a people who belong to his church, a people where even the gates of Hades will not overcome, where death will have no place. And so have a look back at Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus is describing what it means for him to be the Christ. Now, in English, we miss this, but in the original language, there's this play on word. It's a pun that, that, that we see in the original. Peter, Petros, means rock. And Jesus is here saying, on this rock, I will build my church. On you, Peter, I will build my church. Now, theologians, they have all sorts of discussion on this. Is it Peter or is it not Peter? But you see, in this verse, however you take it, there's nothing here that speaks of Peter being the first pope. There's nothing here that speaks of the need for a successor to Peter. There's nothing here that speaks of Peter's reliability or infallibility. And there's nothing here that speaks of his exclusive authority. Rather, Jesus is saying, on you, Peter, it is you in your confessional capacity that I will build my church. You are the rock, Peter. I think he's talking about Peter. You in your confessional capacity. You are the first disciple to recognise this with God's revelation. You are the first disciple to confess this. And so on this, in salvation history, you will have this primacy. Now, people have a problem with that, but in fact, that's what we see in the book of Acts. It was Peter who preached at Pentecost. It was Peter who brought the gospel to Cornelius. It was Peter who affirmed that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles as well. So how will Peter go about doing this? He has this primacy, the first amongst equals. Not the only one, not the exclusive one, but the first amongst equals. How will Peter go about doing this? Well, Jesus now makes that clear. He says, Peter, you are given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You're given this very significant role in building work and that is in your apostolic witness as in your confession, in your apostolic witness, in your proclamation of the gospel, you will open and shut the kingdom to many. So in your work of proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of heaven will be opened or it will be shut depending on how people respond to your preaching. And that will have eternal significance in heaven. And so that's what we see in verse 19. Have a look. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, your preaching is what will open and shut the kingdom to the people of the world. You are the first to do this, but you won't be the last. But now, what's the content of these the keys. What's the content of the preaching of Peter? What will become of the content of the gospel? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us that. Look at verse 21 now. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You see, what we're seeing here is that Jesus will build his church, the community of believers, the community of people who belong to his everlasting kingdom. And how will he build it? Well, in the preaching of the gospel. And what's the gospel? Well, what Jesus says here, he will suffer, he will die and he will rise again. That's the content of the keys. That's the content of the preaching. And so the gospel is that Jesus will shed his blood for you, for sinners. Jesus will be a sacrifice in place of sinners. Jesus will go to the cross and die and bear the wrath of God for sinners. And then Jesus will also rise again to, 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 to show that death and the gates of Hades will have no place in the church in his kingdom. That is the gospel of Jesus and that becomes the gospel of the church. As Peter had the keys to open and shut the kingdom in his preaching, that goes on for the other disciples. And so the question still remains, is Jesus still relevant? Is the church still relevant? Well, you see, according to this and what what Jesus goes on to speak about, it is relevant if you want life. It is relevant if you want in on the kingdom of God. It is relevant if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what Jesus finally says and speaks about. In his final call, he makes this call. He turns to his disciples. Well, now it's up to you. You make the call what you will do. You count the cost. What what will you want? And you weigh the benefits. What will you do? And that's what these final verses are about. And so let's have a look now. Verses 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And so Jesus says quite clearly, I'm building my church. It will be through the apostles, through the preaching of the gospel. Gates of heaven will be open or closed based on that. The content is his death and resurrection. Now, what does it mean to be a part of it? Well, you must follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. It means letting go of the things of just this world. On Friday in our youth group, we thought about treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. We let go of these things for treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Letting go of the things in life, things that will not last, things that will not save. So, for example... If my life is all about money, it's very easy, even for Christians. If my life is all about money, by the end, when I'm old and frail and sick and on my deathbed, that will not save me. If I'm on about my health, that that is what life is about, being fit and healthy. Well, eventually I'll get sick, I'll get old, I'll get frail and my health will not save me beyond this life. If I'm on about my reputation, that that is what I'm living for, then in the end my reputation might come, might go, but that will not save me beyond the grave. Nothing in this life will save us. It is Jesus alone. So that question, is Jesus relevant? Is Jesus relevant? Well, you think about your life and you think about what Jesus offers. It is relevant. And this is what Christians have realised since the time of Jesus. They've 
being happy to deny themselves, to carry their cross and follow Jesus to all parts of the world, to do all sorts of things. Now, some of you may have heard of this story before, but in the second century, there was this massive plague that swept through the Roman Empire. It killed off about a third of the Roman Empire. A third of the population died. A 50-year epidemic killed so many people in the second century. Now, during this plague, it was the disaster. People were just dropping and dying. Families, friends, everyone was just dying. And so what the pagan world did was, what they did was, they, in a sense, they just left their family, left their sick friends, and they took off to the country. They, they didn't want to contract the disease. They didn't want to die. But do you know what Christians did? Well, Christians knew about what Jesus was teaching here. Deny yourself, carry your cross, follow Jesus, be like him. So they stayed around in the cities. They nurse the sick. They nurse those of their own, the Christians. They nurse even pagans. And because of that, they won over many pagans. But as a result, many of these Christians, in following Jesus, denying themselves, carrying the cross, they lost their lives, contracting the diseases from these pagans, from these that they've nursed. You see, they were following Jesus' way because they knew there is life after this. Christians throughout human history, they have done this. Missionaries do this all the time. Not just missionaries, but there's one of this, this guy, James Calvert. James Calvert was uh, uh, a Scot, a Presbyterian minister, but he understood this well. What does it mean to deny myself, to carry my cross, to follow Jesus, knowing that if I lose my life now, I'll gain it? <clears throat> well, he was a missionary to Fiji. At his last meeting of presbytery, where he was sent out, one of the elders at this presbytery meeting opposed him, stood up and said, you're going to go out there and you're going to die. Don't do that. Do you know how he responded? Calvert's response was, whether you go into the ground and the worms eat you, if I die out there, it means nothing. I'm already dead. You see, he's following the call of Jesus. Deny himself carrying his cross. His cross. And then when he got to Fiji, the ship captain tried to turn around and said to him, you will lose your life, the life uh, your life and the life of those with you, if you go amongst us savages. And you know what he said? Well, he said the same thing. He said, we died before we came here. That's what it means to be a part of the church of Christ. That's what it means to be a part of this kingdom that will go on forever. He understood the call of Jesus. He knew that Jesus was absolutely relevant. Jesus was absolutely relevant because to follow him is to have eternal life, even if it meant losing his. And so in his passage, Jesus continues. We'll look at this one more verse. Verse 26. <clears throat> What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And so the question is really, what is your soul worth? What do you think your life is worth? Well, Jesus is saying your life is worth a whole lot more than gaining the whole world. And so our question at the beginning, the relevancy of Jesus. You see, the relevancy of Jesus calls into question the value of your life. If you value your life, you have to see Jesus utterly, completely relevant and important. 
another, another missionary, Jim Elliott, he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you get that? I, I thought that was very clever. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those who have denied themselves, carried across apologies, they're gaining something they cannot lose. And so is Jesus relevant? Well, in the end, every one of us living here, sitting here, we have to make this call. But if he is the Christ, the King of God, then he's more than relevant because your life depends on him. And so as our society pushes us towards the corner, pushes us to the periphery, we we push back. Do you know why? Unless they hear, unless they hear of the gospel, heaven and heaven, the gates of heaven will not be open to them. And so what should you do? Well, I'll end with this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a disciple of Jesus, he understood the call of Jesus when Christ calls a man, he says, he bids him come and die. You follow Jesus, you deny yourself, you carry cross and you gain life. You follow Jesus on earth and you follow Jesus into heaven. And so tonight, if you are not yet a Christian, you have to make that call. Count that cost. Who is Jesus to you? Is he relevant? Well, if you value your life, he's more than relevant. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who came to disclose himself as the Christ, the Son of the living God, who's come to build his church based on the preaching of the gospel, of him died and resurrected. And so we pray that as we reflect on this, as we consider whether Jesus is still relevant today, help us to see that he is if we value our life. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll be convicting hearts tonight and every day that we always, always turn to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.